Welcome to Rosenfeld Review. I'm Lou Rosenfeld. My guest today is Ren Pope. Hello, Ren. Welcome to the show. Hello, Lou. How are you? Uh, doing all right. Uh, excited. Uh, it's, it's, you know, a beautiful day here in Brooklyn. Uh, in fact, yes. it's kind of a summer day in spring, which, to be honest, I'm not so sure how I feel about. <laughs> but um, I'm really excited about something you're involved in that I'm also involved in, and that's the Enterprise UX conference, the the reboot, the return of Enterprise UX, which is happening June 6th and 7th. And Ren, you are one of our speakers, and I'm happy to welcome you to the program, uh, the the conference program, as well as the uh, podcast program. Excellent. Thank you. Well, let me introduce Ren. Um, if you're uh, a member of the information architecture community, you, you've probably met Ren or heard him speak at the IA conference at one point or another. Uh, Ren has a passion for all things data, information, and knowledge. Not surprising, uh, given uh, your experience in the IA world. Uh, Ren strives to make information more accessible, organized, and I like this word, enduring. And he's been doing this for 30 years. So, um, Ren, um, you are someone who's actually had in your job title the word ontologist. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Now, that's, first of all, like, you know, you, you, none of you listening can see me doing the, like, the I'm saluting and, and uh, gi giving me, Ren, the, you know, the, the hands of, of uh, respect. Um, but uh, how, I mean, let's talk a little bit about that word, ontology, okay. in the context mm -hmm. of actual applied work in, in this digital world <laughs> we live in. What's an ontologist do? And is it very different from what an information architect or even an interaction designer or a knowledge manager might do? Well, I, I would say that they are, if, if a coin could have more than two sides, I think that they're different sides of the same coin um, and with just little different nuances. So I really like the word and I really like the way that the community has embraced information architecture and specifically focusing on the word architecture. And out of all of the architectures that aren't building architecture, you know, the traditional, what we think of building, you know, office buildings or houses or what have you, um, you know, you have enterprise architecture, you have um, system architecture, application architecture. I think information architects have really embraced the word architecture and looked back to the building architecture roots. And if you take a look at building architects, you can build a building, You can, which could be an office building or a house. You could be an interior designer. You could be a landscaper, all under the purview of architecture. And I look at information architecture the same way. I am an information architect, but I focus on the information and knowledge part of that, of information architecture. You could focus on the design part, which gets more into UX or information design. Um, you could get really down more towards uh, the structure and databases as well, too. So it's a big tent. Um, and I've kind of dabbled in all of the different spaces, but, uh, over the last 10 years, I've really focused on ontology. So 
that was kind of like, a, I think, a long-winded way of me kind of framing it. But so what is an ontologist? How, how, what's the app? Um, how is it applied in today's um, world? Well, it comes out of philosophy, ontology, mm -hmm. which is the science of what is real and what's not real. That That's what ontologists did in classic Greece. So they were concerned about things of the human being. Well, that's kind of easy to say that's real. We see each other every day. and But when you get things to like emotions, color, things that you really can't touch, they wanted to say, is that real or not? And mm. how do you describe that? So now that we're in the modern day, how does that apply? Well, um, especially in the digital world, we're creating things. We're out of, you know, uh, in a computer, you really can't touch the things that are in there, but we have to be able to describe them. That's why we say things like files and we have the little filing cabinet way back when you had the filing cabinet icon. We had to be able to describe these things and create kind of like a new world, a new environment for this cyber landscape that we're in. So and a modern applied ontologist helps define things and how you use them and how they're related to things. So it's easy to design systems to uh, overlay on top of a set of information and data so that you can search and navigate it. So that's uh, the elevator pitch for a very tall building, I guess. I love it. I love it. And uh, I love that you you brought the classic roots uh into this and and what is real is a like becoming um a, a, an immense question that i don't think the uh the, the classical philosophers had any clue of obviously they didn't when uh prior to the digital age but would it be um oversimplification to say that an ontology is a, an agreed upon, like an agreement in, let's say, an organizational context, an agreed upon set of nouns and verbs to describe that organization and the things it yes. touches. Yeah, yes. I wouldn't say that it's oversimplified, but it's simplified, yes. Okay. Um, wow. Because I tried asking a professor to just explain ontology to me back in grad school, and, and uh, he could have saved me a lot of time with that. Um, so good. It only took me 35 years, but finally <laughs> got there. So, okay. Um, now let's talk about that organizational context. So mm -hmm. you've worked with and in large enterprises. Yes. And um, I, I have too. And in my experience as, as an IA consultant back in the day in enterprises, that the, the big challenge for an enterprise uh, in many cases, is just to get its arms around the nouns. What is it? What are the things? And if they can get that far, you know, the things being roles, the things being departments or silos or functions, the things being uh, what flows, whether it's money or resources or whatever. But then there's the the verbs. Is the, I mean, are enterprises actually developing ontologies that go beyond this, this, the stating of the what, the nouns, and moving beyond that to really get into the nitty-gritty of how those things connect. Right. So so that's there's the two key pieces of the ontology and your that description of the nouns and verbs. So I think we we have been very good at 
defining the nouns, right? Relational databases have done that. You, you define something, you define what ends up becoming the metadata about that thing. And um, that, that's been kind of like well-established. Uh, now how things kind of work back and forth between each other. Yeah, that, that takes a, um, there, there's, there's a couple of challenges because when you establish a relationship between something, right, you can have more than one relationship mm -hmm. between, between two, two things. Uh, let's give uh, a fictitious, um, there's a mother who has a son. Um, there's a relationship, uh, that's the relationship, but let's say they have a small business. Um, the son works for the mother. That's another relationship. So um, then there's qualities to that relationship. Uh, um, how long has the son worked for the mother? Mm -hmm. um, is that a quality of the relationship? Or do you create a another noun, which is called um, employment? And that has metadata. Um, and that sits between the mother and the son. So um those are kind of like um some of the challenges i think uh as an as ontologist and playing with others so um uh those in um like systems development uh, the end user those are all challenges that we have to work with um and work through um to be able to provide the best set of information in the most clean and efficient manner so, you know, what I'm getting from this discussion, at least of the nouns part, you mentioned metadata and, you know, the, the nouns have to be in place to power the verbs or to give the verb something to hang on to, to grab onto. Right. But the metadata are really important as a way to help figure out, you know, how a thing should, could relate to another thing, you know, a mother and a son a mother who's an employer versus a son who's an employee. You add those metadata in and it changes the verbs that connect them dramatically. My, right. So one of the things that I'm always curious about is when it comes to that, that possible universe of metadata to describe any individual object, um, it seems like you've, you're sort of fighting a couple of battles on really on two different fronts. One is, well, there's a a lot of different kinds of metadata that can be associated with any object and mm -hmm. they're expensive, especially the more they tend toward the descriptive rather than, you know, yes. this thing is, you know, made of carbon or not is a little simpler than this thing is um, about philosophy or versus about uh, literature. Those things, those are where things get a bit messier, but there's another front and that is the fact that there's like a spectrum of meaning where if you take an object, let's say it's a document, it's got yes. meaning on its own. Mm -hmm. But representing that meaning is uh, sometimes you need, you need some kind of metadata or you need a summary or an abstract. And uh, it, it, you need, you know, uh, there's like a spectrum. Like you, you could there. invest heavily in in representing a, a piece of information. Exactly. And I think one of the ways to help look and frame that spectrum is structure, right? So um, 
on one end of the spectrum, you have unstructured. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have highly structured. So a document would kind of tend more, lean more towards unstructured, right? You have, there's not a lot of waypoints in there. You have to read the document to kind of understand mm -hmm. it and, and, and get it. And and highly structured would be a relational database, right? So you, you, you find the row that you need, you find the column, um, which, you know, the, the number of row, the row number is a piece of met metadata and the column header is a metadata. You find that that specific piece of data by, you know, um, going left, uh, left and down, or, mm -hmm. or I'm sorry, right and down. And uh, you find that very specific piece of data. So uh, the metadata needs for that document, of, which is unstructured, is way different than the structured. And there's two ways you can do a document. You can do the kind of like the librarian method where you give a little card that has all the metadata on it and you stick it on top and you kind of index it or you go through the document and in line every time you see George Washington you tag it and it's in there and then you can extract those out later and you know any extraction um so yes that that that's a huge challenge and I I think that the more we go towards the shorter simpler you know, it started with Twitter. We, we, let's move things, shrink things down to 120 characters and sound bites and web pages that aren't full narratives. We're we're kind of putting a lot of structure on things, and those big documents that are out there, um, I, I think, are getting the love and attention that they need um, in figuring out how to extract that information in a way that it makes it easily searchable and findable and understand the context of say George Washington in that document. Are you talking about the bridge, the president, somebody else that wasn't the president? So Right. Well, you know, it's also going to be really interesting to see how uh people are how people understand summarization now that LLMs, uh, large language model AI is is suddenly pervasive and so many of us can experiment with it and um uh, we see that the act of summarization is not all that we assumed. And that's a lot of what I think you're talking about is, well, any of us who are working with some sort of document or information representation, we are summarizing, whether it's a single metadata term or an abstract or, or, or uh, an, an AI-generated summary. And they're not all the same. And uh, they have different costs and different value. Correct. That is that. That is correct. So, just uh, and and they all have their place and they all work together, right? So, um, an AI can be informed by, uh, say, an ontological effort and that structured data to add to its body of knowledge, if you will. And I'm using air quotes for a body of knowledge for an AI, um, and. Uh, at the same turn, NII can make that body of knowledge by extracting um, everything. Uh, so I would say um, if you need very high precision uh, data, I, I would still have a, something that's human reviewed mm -hmm. and, and, and create it as a human. Um, and then you could feed it to or use it however. Um, uh, I don't, I haven't done the research or know yet how accurate 
uh, AI is yet to be able to extract that information and say, yep, this is good. Um, but uh, if you just need something in, you know, that gets you in the ballpark, yes, AI is is wonderful. Well, you know, so if you're listening to Ren and I going on at this very kind of abstract level, ranging from the, you know, classic Greek philosophers to uh, the various uh, shades of of uh, of metadata and representation to now uh, uh, large language models. First of all, thanks for bearing with us. But um, this is complicated stuff. It's hard to describe whether on a podcast or because of the multidimensional nature of this this beast of ontology and representation, it's hard to, to, to just describe in a work setting when you actually have some potential of taking advantage of it. That said, that's kind of what Ren and, and some of the other people on our program are going to be talking about at Enterprise UX in June. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to reward you when you come back with a little bit more uh, concreteness about how this actually may be put to to work at your job. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Rosenfeld Review. Hey, it's Lou. Uh, what am I promoting this time? A new conference, Enterprise UX 2023. Wait a minute, you've heard of Enterprise UX before. Yep, that's the name of the conference. First big one we ever did back in 2015. We're bringing it back in 2023. Why? Because people who work in large enterprises, whether you're a designer, a researcher, a writer, are struggling to amplify uh, your impact, struggling to scale up for enterprise class challenges. But there's all these great new tools and techniques and practices that are maturing that can help you do that scaling up. One is systems thinking, another's information architecture, another's AI, another is designing with data. Those are the four themes we're covering in Enterprise UX 2023 virtual conference taking place June 6th and June 7th. We're going to dig deeply into each of those four areas in ways that help you learn from them, benefit from them, but do so without destroying the planet because they are scary if in the wrong hands. So come join us at Enterprise UX 2023. We've also got a couple great keynoters, Greg Petroff, and Aveta Sampson joining us. I hope you'll join us too. Welcome back to the Rosenfeld Review. I'm with Ren Pope. We're talking, well, we were talking very abstract stuff around ontology. And thank you, dear listener, for bearing with us. But it's partly just to indulge me. It's like uh, the, 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 the area I used to hang out in before I became a conference producer and book publisher. Uh, I just frankly had a... Um, move out of this stuff, Ren, because I, it just wasn't tangible and I wanted to make things. But, but I think today it's a little different because if I'm an uh, IC at a large enterprise, there are like a bunch of people down the hall who've got their, um, their, their, their fingers on the controls for maybe a, a big content management system. There are other people who uh, may be looking at using uh, auto classification or auto categorization tools, maybe uh, to, to start bringing some of that metadata to the surface, some of that meaning to the surface. Um, what can I be doing or what, what are people in my position starting to, to do to really benefit from 
ontology broadly or better IA at an enterprise level? Right. So it doesn't have to be that big, hairy, theoretical um, uh, concept. You can use what I call ontological thinking um, in your day-to-day practice, and you don't have to be an ontologist uh, or a taxonomist or even an information architect uh, to, to do some of these things. And you might actually as a, as an individual contributor might actually be doing some of this already, but if you kind of step back and kind of take a look at it in a, in a different sort of nuance, um, and Lou, you touched on it about, uh, uh, go out and find all the nouns, right? Um, go out and find all the verbs. Extract those entities. Exactly. And then, and then, but the most important thing I think is what is, what is your scope, your domain? What are you trying to accomplish? Because uh, that that makes the whole difference. So write that down, write down. The reason I'm doing this is because so that we can do something. I think that's the, the most important step. Well, I'm because... sorry, just to, I just want to add to that because it's just like AI is more effective in narrow domains where there's less ambiguity in the semantics. The same is true here. Right. I mean, exactly. In a narrow domain, your job will be easier. Right. So if you if you just go out and start collecting information and you don't have that 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 kind of scope or domain that you're thinking about, then you may be over collecting. So, for example, if we think back to the whole you have Susan, the mother, Bob, the son, and you you collect that their mother and son, but their your whole purpose is their work environment mm-hmm. you've over collected you don't need to know that so focus your scope and and that could be even uh if your content management system is i'm totally something fictitious here a cookbook uh kind of like ingredients of things but mm-hmm. you get wound up on some other part of the aspect or content that you're looking for um then you're being inefficient so really have that good framework of of your domain then after you do that go out and and get the nouns and get the verbs and how they interact between each other and also get that metadata the quality of those nouns and verbs Uh, again uh you could collect all the metadata in the world but you really want to be focused on the task at hand um and then uh once you have that i think that can kind of help um, narrow down uh, w- what you're thinking. The other thing too is because things change over time so much is have a way of maintaining it because um, yeah, uh, it, when I said enduring, uh, I also like to use the word sustainable. Um, you capture something uh, right right, right now in the now, um, but it's going to change. And if you don't have the system to keep it up, that governance process, it's going to get stale and no one's going to use it. So you, you have to do that as well, too. And, um, and I'll put in a plug for Lisa Welchman's uh, Managing Chaos book we published some years ago, which is all about digital mm-hmm. governance. Um, so, OK, um, if I'm in the cookbook or the recipe business, I, I, it's important to know things like ingredients, but I don't necessarily need to capture information about whether the eggs are, are grown by, you know, at free range from free range chickens versus chickens that, uh, um, whatever, 
you know, uh, are, are, are great dancers. Who knows what? It, it's, it's, it's immaterial. And then I don't need to know necessarily that although the, there are containers for ingredients, those are not relevant. So I don't need to gather those nouns about the containers that it came in an egg crate or a, you know, sh- uh, shrink-wrapped uh, container or whatever it might be. Correct. All right, right, so I've exactly. just, it's a lot of it is a process of elimination, uh, what to keep and what to throw away. But even right. then, it's complicated, right? So you said mm-hmm. in, it, to be sustainable for it to endure, it, it, it needs to be captured in a way that it can be managed. And Correct. I think sort of the other side of that coin is it has to be represented. You know, we're talking about multidimensional spaces, and I, I'm guessing, you know, whether the representation is visual, uh, like an ontology map or, or textual, like a data dictionary, none of these are perfect. What, what have you been finding works well to, to manage and represent an ontology, if anything? Well, the, uh, yeah, there, there is. And, you know, that's, uh, you know, you bring that up. It's uh, funny because that's one of the things I wanted to talk about at Enterprise UX is um, I, I think that the knowledge representation space uh the user experience and the let's call it experience in general hasn't really um caught up or matured in that area and i think i, I think as ux practitioners we need to all hands on deck and get there and 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 help out the community um so there there's there's several things it depends at the enterprise level you you want a, a heavy duty a tool. So if you work at a very large organization, you want something called a knowledge organization system. Uh, and they're a specialized content management system that deals with relational kind of like, I don't want to say it's so bad that relational databases are kind of like the old way, mm-hmm. graph type knowledge. So the traditional, when you see nodes and, and lines in between them, that kind of network view, um, that's at the enterprise level. Um, then there's um, some content management systems and some other, I guess, personal information management systems that kind of help in in knowledge uh, knowledge representation too. So if you're like a, a small business or you know a consultant, um, those knowledge organization systems cost tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars. You might not be able to afford that, but there's actually even things at the lower level that you can use and. So, um, so there's, there's stuff out there. It's, it's basically oh, yeah. a different kind of content management system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And even if, so, you know, if you're, it's a very, something very small, you're, you're an information architect doing um, something for a mom and pop uh, pet store, and you need to have a knowledge representation of all the different pets that they have. Um, you could use uh, a tool like um, CMAP um, because they're, their environment might be very static, um, uh, or you could use something like Mind Mapper uh, mm-hmm. to, to show that. Um, uh, and then, as you go, if you're uh, if you're consulting or you work in enterprise, some of the knowledge organization systems would be something like Synaptica's Graphite um, or uh, Semaphore, which is made by uh, Mark Logic um, uh, Pool Party. Uh, um, if you're into doing something like a taxonomy data access, so I'll note, I'll note that Ren has not said, Oh, go out and create a Excel spreadsheet. 
Well, you know, that's funny too. Um, you can, it, you, you might be able to. So I was kind of going more for the visual, but I've done stuff in PowerPoint before. Um, wow. one of the, one of the very first knowledge systems I did, this is going on 30 years ago, the, the tools weren't out there. And, uh, I was challenged by my boss. Um, we need to have a, a way of uh, representing knowledge, uh, across our organization. We had about 17,000 employees. And so this is at the enterprise level, 17,000 employees. And his challenge was his predecessor used to have the Thursday meeting. It started at eight o'clock and it usually ended around four o'clock where he, he was, uh, it was pretty much the CEO would gather all of his division directors together and the entire day they'd go through 300 slides. Um, mm. So the organization had that mental model of that's what we do on Thursdays. New boss came in and said, I don't want that. I don't even want to meet. So I want a system that condenses those 300 slides down to, is it good? Is it bad? We only focus on the bad. And and if uh, even, let, let's just say, um, I could say, I don't even want to have the meeting. I push a button, a VTC uh, pops up with the people that had the bad slides. I get to go over it with them. In five minutes, we're done. So um, we put together something in PowerPoint that would aggregate all the data, give you a thumbs up, thumbs down on it, and you could get on with the day. The directors and everybody danced with joy um, <laughs> about that. So yeah, you could even use use the tool that is, you know, sometimes you have to use a hammer as a screwdriver um, when you don't have a screwdriver. So uh, you have to figure out how. Any Anything you do that gets rid of day-long meetings it, it will will be celebrated widely um you know i i i really um have seen a lot of people using tools uh like uh, Airtable and Smartsheet uh more and more because they you know have that sort of mental model of the the table that you know spreadsheets are built around but then they manage to add in some multi-dimensionality and in some clever ways because there is a, you know, relational database backing them up. Um, you know, it, it's, you know, it, it's, it's like, <laughs> I'm just sort of like shaking my head. You all can't see me do this, but in, in some respects, you know, the tools get better, but the challenges still remain the same and in, in a way maybe get harder because the scale of what people are dealing with in terms of volume and complexity and, and um, uh, the sort of the unevenness of the enterprise environment is, is just kind of more and more and more all the time. I hope the tool, I hope in your, you've been doing this for like 30 years, Ren. Like, do you feel like the challenges are getting easier, harder, about the same? Like, can the technology actually help us keep up with the volume and, and complexity? Yeah. Uh, maybe if I could loosely just, uh, take the, the, um, ethos of Billy Joel, we didn't start the fire. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, if you think about it, uh, in, in the 1950s, they said computers and technology will, you know, we won't be working, you know, by, by the year 2000 and Star Trek had that notion of in the future, no one will work because technology will have it there. Um, we will always have the challenges it will the things will the, the it, it's it's a never-ending cycle because we can take on more complex challenges uh if the, the we will just have to that's the next step then there's more challenges and we figure out the complexity there 
It, so we will always be employed as mm-hmm. people. Um, we will always have challenges and um, the systems become more and more technical. Now, I will say that as user experience comes along um, and, you know, we smooth out the, you know, we have a search bar now, mm-hmm. which is just amazing. Uh, you don't have to come up with some sort of search algorithm. You just type stuff in. I, I think that 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 will become more pervasive and a lot more things will become easier. But then it's that we go on to the next challenge. And, and I, I just like to say something else real, real quick about tools, sure. just very quickly. So I, I think um, as practitioners, um, we need to be tool savvy. Um, in the sense of of knowing the nuances of the tool and extracting as much out as possible, um, and 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 those tools serve us to make good artifacts, so that um, whoever our customer is, and I th- really think as information architects, user experience folks, we, we think of the users as our customer, but we are the people who make the designs for the people who build it, mm-hmm. and think of those in mind. So the the developers, the computer scientists, so. Um, if we're not working in concert with them and giving them the, the best things that we can, the good artifacts, um, then they it's going to be inefficient or they're not going to be able to use what what uh, we we put out. So we need to be good with our tools and understand them and understand what happens when you're using Airtable, understand what happens when you're using some sort of wireframing tool or what have you. So. Well, you know, that's the truth of the enterprise environment is uh, who are the users? Well, that's a really loaded question in an enterprise setting. <laughs> hey, Ren, this has been great. Uh, I, I like that we managed to kind of squeeze in both the, the hand wavy conceptual and the down in the in the trenches uh, discussion about what you can actually do. If you're listening in, this is uh, uh, some of the material that Ren is going to get into at uh, Enterprise UX, June 6th and 7th. Uh, Ren is part of a, a cluster, a cohort of speakers and talks on IA and knowledge management, along with Milan Gunther, who's going to be talking about, actually, it's probably relevant to what we were just talking about, Ren, his, uh, his new, uh, uh, it's called Edgy. It's like a new language for representing, uh, I think it's enterprise maybe at an ontology level, uh, but definitely nouns and I think some verbs. Uh, and uh, just I think it just came out a few days ago. Uh, and uh, Sarah Barrett, who's going to be talking uh, uh, as like the lead information architecture at a little company called Microsoft. Uh, we also have, besides this great group of IA people, we have uh, a cluster of people talking about systems thinking, another talking about designing with data, and another talking about AI and machine learning. And all of them are talking about how those four areas can help you do a better job as a UX person, a practitioner in an enterprise environment. So it will be fabulously useful. Uh, but there's one more thing we want you to have besides a, a ticket to this conference. And that's a gift from our guest today, Ren. Ren, in Rosenfeld Review tradition, what gift did you bring for our listeners? Well, I've been very fortunate for over the past three years um, to have been on an advisory board for a company called Metal Health, um, run by the amazing Dr. B.J. Miller. Uh, he's a TED speaker, world famous. Um, he just came out with a book, A, Bener- a Beginner's Guide to the End. Um, which talks about palliative care and hospice. And um, 
especially with the coming out of the the, the pandemic, um, there were a lot of palliative care uh, challenges, and the palliative care community, um, which are um, the healthcare providers, family members, and the actual patients, um, it, it's just been very challenging. So he's trying to get uh, more awareness, um, better tools for for the caregivers, um, and working on a body of knowledge. So I've been uh, working with him. So uh, I strongly suggest uh, looking him up, listening to his TED talks. He's he has an amazing story. Um, and the organization and is Metal Health, M E T T L E. Yes. Mm -hmm. Interesting. All right. And so he he provides um, uh, counseling uh, for patients and and family members if they're having difficulties with their local. It, it is all virtual. Um, if, in their space, if they're if they need just uh, some extra help and some high powered um, counseling, and he also helps to train the the actual healthcare providers, doctors, nurses, and other professionals. Excellent, so definitely. I'm glad, excellent. And I'm glad you're you're using your your vast expertise to help out with developing that body of knowledge. Excellent. Thank you. My pleasure. And it's thanks for joining fun. us today, uh, Ren Pope. Great to have you on the Rosenfeld Review. Thanks again. Thank you. It was, the pleasure was all mine. This was great. Hey, it's Lou. Thank you for listening to the latest Rosenfeld Review podcast. I really appreciate it. I would love to hear from you. And if you want to pop me an email, lou at rosenfeldmedia.com. Tell me what you thought. Better yet, leave me the hell alone and post a review on your favorite podcast platform. Please feed the algorithm. It really does make a difference. We want to get the word out. If you like the word, give us a hand. And uh, while I'm asking you for favors, don't forget, buy books. Support your favorite local independent publisher. We happen to be one, rosenfeldmedia.com. All those great UX books are there. So thanks again. <laughs>